That's awesome. Church, we can sit. We can take out our Bibles. We can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to reflect that death was arrested at the resurrection of Jesus. And as a result, all around the world, churches are filled with people like you and me. Normal folks who look like everything is just rolling like it is for the rest of the world. But on the inside, dead people have come to life. Like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, redone, renewed a thousand times over. And now His church, His bride, His body, scattered all over the world on every continent, filled with people whose lives are redeemed, who have His Spirit in them. People who are inspired by the breath of God. People who are under the call of God. People who can mobilize together for the mission of God. The church is way more than we've ever dreamed of. Like throughout this room are immortal souls, men and women who have been made alive forever. Like when we gather at our gravesides, we'll gather with a tear in our eyes and a smile on our face, knowing that death could not stop our King. We're people of hope. And today we want to talk about the church. The church is more than you imagine. It's more than you ever imagined. Like what Christ died to create. It's so much more than brick and mortar, than pews and music. It's so much more than, than RAs in Sunday school. It's so much more than attendance and programs. Like what Jesus died to create is so abnormal, so unusual, if we could just see it for what it is. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going into the prayer closet with Paul the Apostle as he prays about the church. And while we're in this sermon, I want to just challenge you. That when God called you in the church, He called you into something that was bigger than you think for more than you imagine. And your role here is essential. I know that you love show choir and you love hunting and you love sports. You love baseball. I know that you love band. I know that you love your hobbies. I know that you love your football teams. I know that you love your work. But if God could show us in His Spirit what we need to see, what He sees, then you would recognize with me. That belonging to this body of redeemed believers beneath the banner of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that you're a part of. It's the most life-giving, renewing, redeeming moment in your world. The day that you gave your life to Christ and became part of His body. So, let's read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to verse 21. Paul says this, writing from a jail cell, he said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As a church, we give glory to a God that can do more than you ask or imagine. And I can imagine a lot. 
But that God secretly and visibly in the mind and the power of the divine is doing more in this room than you could ask or imagine blows me away. And I want us to pray about it. As we start this service, I just want to ask you to take your life as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, as a senior adult. I want to ask you to take your life as a parent, your marriage. And I want you to imagine those things that you would ask God to do in it. Those things you've been begging God to do to set you free from an addiction. To give you strength through a hard road. To help you finally overcome your anger. And I want you to submit those things this morning to the God who can do more than you ask or even imagine. Let's pray. God, as your church gathered, we pray that your scriptures would come alive to us and that your spirit would empower them. God, that you would speak to us and strike faith in our hearts that we could do more than you ask or imagine as we watch you doing more than we could ask or imagine inside our souls. I pray, God, that you would blow us away, that you would take off our goggles that blind us so we'd stop just seeing the flesh-bound world in its smallness, in its frailty and brokenness. But, God, that we'd see for a moment a glimmer of your new creation your new heaven and your new earth, the things you're calling us to, the souls that surround us that you're working to redeem. God, I pray that you would awaken us to more than we could ever ask you about or imagine. And today, God, I pray that you would move in every mind and heart of every worshiper. God, I pray you'd touch our lives and change us in very real ways. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our text is really simple. Paul offers a prayer. It's a prayer that moves in four pieces, four very simple pieces. He has an invocation where he asks for God's name, where he calls on God and asks God to hear his prayer. Powerful invocation. He asks God for three things. They don't show up so well in our English Bibles, but in Greek they pop right off the page. They're all marked by the same little clausal marker that shows you exactly the three things that Paul's praying for specifically. And at the end, at the end of this passage... He closes with one of my favorite doxologies in the Bible. When he's done with this little prayer, he looks up to heaven and he says, and everybody that's praying with me, listen, to God be all the glory through his church. To God, the one that does more than we ask or imagine. So let's dive off into the text and let's take a look at the prayer. In verse 14, look at the way that Paul calls on the name of the Lord. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I don't know how you call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes we call on God the same way. Some of us have the same like routine. Dear Heavenly Father. Yeah, I don't know. Are you a dear Heavenly Father person? Let me just see it. If you're the guy or the gal who you start every prayer, you're not bad. I'm not going to beat you up. But you always start by going, dear Heavenly Father, would you raise your hand? That's my jam. Like that's what I fall into. Or maybe you're like, Lord God Almighty. I don't know how you call on the name of the Lord, but if you think about it, the way we invoke God's name at the beginning of our prayers says something about our theology or what we're coming to Him with. Well, when Paul calls on God right here, he calls Him Father. That's good because Jesus taught us that. Jesus is the one that taught us to say, Dear Heavenly Father. Now, He never said, Dear Heavenly Father, but He's the one that taught us to come to God as Father of all creation. But look at what Paul says specifically. Now, imagine with me, Paul, stuck in a cold, clammy jail cell, And if you had read chapter 3, verse 1 to 13, you would have seen that Paul said, I am in jail because God called me to a mission to the Gentiles. And as a part of that mission, I got arrested the last time I was in Jerusalem. And here I sit almost three years later in a cold, dark jail cell, writing this letter to this church, and I still consider it joy. Because God, the Father of all, has called me into a mission that you could never imagine. Let's take a look at the mission just in the way he calls on God's name. What does he say to him? He says, he is the Father from whom every family 
in heaven and on earth derives its name. In the day that Paul was doing ministry, he was surrounded by people that thought that God might have been the father of the Jews or the Israelites of Abraham's descendants. Today we might say it like this. Yeah, God would be the father of the church-going folks, the folks who have already been through the baptistry, the folks that are committed to his law and his teaching, the people that want to make the world a better place. So God's the father of all the folks in church, but the, the world is so full of all these people that don't know him. And Paul, in this prayer, he says, yes, but he is the father of every family. He's where they get their name, all the families in heaven and on earth. And he shakes our mind and he lets us know that God is bigger than you think. And that Paul's mission is more important than you might think. Why is Paul happy to be in jail? Called into a mission for the Gentiles? A mission that got him arrested? Because Paul believes that God has sons and daughters at the four corners of the earth that need to be redeemed. Paul believes there are prodigal sons on the other side of Spain that need to know their father's name. That need to be adopted into the family through a Messiah that died and was raised. Paul knows that as the creator of all, God is father of all. And he has estranged sons and daughters that will not be right with him unless they come in through Messiah. And Paul feels a burden, a drive, possessed to let sure the whole world knows the name of their father. So the sons and daughters around the globe can be redeemed. Paul's prayer is driven by mission. God's the father, not just of the Israelites in the temple. God's the father, not just of the Baptists at Carterville. God's the father of every breathing soul you'll meet in the Pine Belt this week. They need to know their father's name. Because his name is passed to them. They need to be adopted into his family. It's pretty cool that he says in heaven and on earth. And I don't think he's just making a reference to all the people who've already died. I think, and you'll see this more clearly in our last sermon about spiritual warfare, all through the book of Ephesians, Paul recognizes that there are spiritual realities that are higher and grander than you imagine. There are angels and demons and the devils working against the kingdom of God. And I think when Paul says he's the father from whom everybody gets his name in heaven and on earth, what Paul's letting you know, that even the angels in heaven and even the rebellious angels against God have been given their name, whether they like it or hate it, from the Father that made them. In the Bible, naming is an act of sovereignty. Like when your children were born, you named them. That may have been the only time you were in charge of them, but you got to give them their name. In the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God tells Adam to rule over creation, name the animals. And Adam names the animals as a sign of his responsibility to them and his leadership over them. But Paul says it's from God the Father, the Creator, and His Creator rights from whom everyone draws their name. It's a powerful thought. And I imagine today all the prodigals that are out there who need to know their Father, who need to be restored to His family name, who need to know their inheritance in the kingdom. And it's the mission of the church to get the gospel to them. And Paul's prayer is born in missions. The Father in heaven, from whom every family in heaven and on earth gets their name. I'm bending my knee to him, and I'm asking him to give you grace, to give you power. Three things he asked for in the prayer. He asked in verse 16 that you would be strengthened. It says it this way. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul wants you to be able to stay in Christ, to be born in Christ and stay there. 
Paul wants you to persevere if you're persecuted. Paul wants you to be able to stand fast with Jesus and grow. Paul wants you to be sanctified, not just baptized and sitting on a pew. Paul wants to watch you grow in Christ. And so he prays that God would give you power from his riches so that you could be strengthened, so that Christ could live in your heart and stay there and you'd grow in Jesus. So that if you found yourself beside Paul in a jail cell, you wouldn't bail. Paul says, I pray that God would strengthen you. And I pray that God would strengthen you. I pray that God would grant Carterville Baptist Church and our guests this week power from his treasure chest of power. That we'd be strengthened on the inside to be more than we are so that we could allow Christ to rule in our hearts. So that we would seek first the kingdom. That we wouldn't be drawn away by our hobbies or habits, but that we would have the strength to stand firm in Christ and know who we are in Jesus. So that we could be on God's mission together. I pray with Paul that God would strengthen you. I pray that God would strengthen fathers to mentor and lead their children. Mothers to bless and grant their wisdom and life-giving spirit. I pray that God would bless and empower our middle schoolers to be a witness at our schools. I pray that God would give you strength. The second thing he asks is that God would give us strength, verse 18, so that you could grasp, get a hold of, take hold of what Christ has laid hold of you for, that you could understand how God's power is working in you through His love. I love this. Take a look at verse 18. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul prays that God would grant you power this time so that you could understand what is inconceivable. It's interesting to me that Paul calls it the, that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. He calls it the, the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of God, as if it's all-encompassing. i got a slide I want to show you guys. Uh, when Paul throws this out there, Zach, that he says, I wish that you would know. I wish, I wish God could give you enough power, enough spiritual insight that you could recognize Him at work around you, that you could recognize the power He's giving you, that you could understand the love He's poured out in you. And he says it this way, that you would know the length and width and height and depth. Now, if you're like me, sometimes church seems routine. If you're like me, sometimes your faith journey seems routine. You wake up, you have your prayer time and your coffee, and you try to do your thing throughout the day. You try to follow the commands of Christ. You try to follow the nudges from the Holy Spirit. You lay your head down exhausted at the end of the day, and you wondered if you made disciples for the glory of God. And you wake up tomorrow and you do it again. And sometimes we cannot see or fathom the invisible power of God that's at work in the church, that's driving this mission, and I wish we could see it. But Paul says, boy, I wish God would give you power so that you could comprehend with your mind the length and width and height and depth of the love of Christ. I think about this as if Paul was like laying out a compass that he was kind of letting you know that, man, as high as the heavens are high, as deep as the depths are deep, as far as the east is from the west, so much God loves you. You probably don't feel that today, do you? Like, I'll tell you this, a lot of days I don't feel it, sometimes because of my shame, some come because of my failures or my incompetency or my inabilities. Sometimes because of all the mistakes I've made. Sometimes I just don't feel that important. Like, why would God love somebody that's not that important? But it's almost as if Paul is saying, I wish you could understand that the power that God's given you, the love that God's poured out for you, it is bigger than you could dream of. 
He would blow you away. It's the kind of love that would drive you. It's the kind of love that if you were aware of it, like if you could see it or sense it, if God by his Holy Spirit would open your mind to it, you would walk in the doors of the church and you would be belting out your praise. Like we'd have to calm you down. You'd have your walker in the aisle and you'd be dancing, right? If you could see how much God's moving in you and how much God loves you, it would blow you away. Nobody would have to beg you to love the Lord. You would draw near to him naturally. Like nobody would have to tell you to seek first the kingdom because all of our hobbies and habits, all of our pursuits and prizes would wash away. They would be minuscule compared to the glory of this God that loves you big like this. Well, I was imagining that. So our commentary work, I was really intrigued. I found that some of the church fathers, a guy named Origen and several other church fathers, when they read this text and they started to comprehend the power of God, the love of God for you, their mind was drawn to the cross and they imagined the four arms of the cross stretched out showing you God's love. Pointing to the heavens to the Father that loved you. Pointing to the earth to the grave that's defeated and stretched out as wide as the east is from the west so that God may remove his sins from us and we would know the love of Christ. I'm with Paul. I'm praying that our church would know the love of Christ and that we would be changed by it and that we would freely give it in this religion that we share, in this relationship with Christ that we walk in, this is not about how good you can be, how well you behave. This is about a God that loves you and transforms you from the inside out. And I pray with Paul that we would be blown away today by the love of God, by the power of his love for us. Third thing he asks, and this is great, verse 19, he asks that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. I just imagine that from head to toe you'd be filled with God. Look at this. In verse 19, he says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That, that there, there wouldn't be any Christians that are walking out for scattering for a week of missions that are half-filled. No Christians walking out scattering for a week of missions, ill-equipped for what God's calling you to. That in your secret devotions, you would be fueled and driven for God. Then your private worship, you'd be alive for God. Then your acts of obedience and service, then in your witness, you'd be alive for God because your tank is not low, it's not empty, it's full. That the Spirit of God would open your eyes and your mind and your heart and you would be filled with God. That's a good prayer. All right, so Paul wraps up his prayer. I like Paul's prayer. Paul wraps up his prayer with one of the most beautiful doxologies in the Bible. This is what he says. Now, tip of the hat to the one that can get it all done. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that's working within us, to him be glory in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Church doesn't exist to bring glory to the church. The church exists to bring glory to God. And the church will bring great glory to God when her sons and daughters are transformed by the power of God. When we get out of our religious rut and recognize the Spirit at work in us. So I want to take a look at this passage and I want you to, want you to res respect the idea that, hey, listen, what if church is way more than you imagine? Have you ever had an experience that was more than you imagined it would be? Has anybody in here ever had more than you bargained for? And probably in a good way, I hope. I had one. I want to tell you about it. So I, I enjoy basketball. Raise your hand if you enjoy basketball. I know that my church basketball team's laughing, going, well, you don't play like it. But I, I enjoy, sorry, Preston, I apologize in front of the whole church. for. 
I love church basketball. I love basketball. That's just a fantastic game. Well, anyway, we are Pelicans fans. A little bit of New Orleans Pelicans fans. Any New Orleans Pelicans fans in the house? Anybody like the Pelicans? Come on, guys. Home team. They, and they need some fans. Trust me. Well, anyway, we've seen a couple Pelicans games. We've been to watch the Pelicans because my son likes the Warriors, and so we went down to watch the Warriors play the Pelicans. And it was kind of cool. There was a lot of blue shirts for the Warriors in the room that day. But it was fun. We got to watch the Pelicans game. Now, we watched them from the cheap seats, you know, which they weren't that cheap. But we were way up high. And we watched it. And it was fun. It was great. I'd never been to a pro basketball game until last year, so we went. It was really neat to watch those guys in real life. By the way, in real life, they move more like human beings. Without the camera, you can see them like stumble with the ball. They look human. I kind of appreciated that for just a moment. Well, anyway, so we watched the Pelicans game as a family. Really, really fun. Well, last, uh, this year, last year, in 2018, a friend of mine said, Hey, Ben, I've got four tickets to a Pelicans game and I cannot go. They're really good tickets. They're through my work. Do you want to go? And I was like, you know, I, I think it'd be fun. I, I, I'll take the boys. Let me see if we can go. So I got Curry and Cade, and we took Curry's friend Carter, and we were going to go to a Pelicans game. So like the day of the game, he gave us the tickets, right? And we said, okay, so we got tickets to the game. And he said, oh, by the way, there's a parking pass in there. It's like, oh, cool. So we drive to the game, like the parking garage for us, right next, right next to the arena. So we pull in, and we feel like VIPs already. We're like, hey, guys, you know. Now, keep in mind, your preacher's from Sugarlock, Mississippi, and I ain't never been nowhere, right? <laughs> so I show up at the, at the Smoothie King Center, going to a basketball game. We're loving it. We're taking pictures, and we're having fun. We're going to go get some popcorn and hot dogs, but first, let's find our seats. Did I tell you we had pretty good seats? Let me show you our seats. Would you show us our seats? That These were our seats. I don't know if you can tell, but that's the third row. Like, let me, Zach, Zach, if I got another picture I can show everybody, like, this is what the, that's me in the red shirt. <laughs> so, so, like, I got buddies that are home, like, hey, man, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right beside the score. They're like, hey, I found you. And they're sending me pictures, like, yes. Can I tell you how cool it was to watch a basketball game from the floor, right? This is what it looked like to watch the game. You got another picture up there, man? This is cool. Look at that. Like, there's big Anthony Davis. He almost came to give me a high five. He was thinking about it. He was close enough. We got to watch a basketball game from the third row. Do you hear what I'm saying? We had no idea. Way more than I imagined. So we strolled down there, and my kids were like, can I get some candy corn? Or can we find some, like, cotton candy? Can I get a hot dog? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's find our seats first, because I don't know my way around. So we're, like, looking around. We come down. We keep going down, keep going down, keep going. And there's, like, a yellow rope that keeps, like, people like me off the floor area, right? And, and I was like, man, I think that's me over there. I don't know where to sit. The guy got there. He's like, oh, yeah, come on, sir. Sir, hey, I like this already. He's like, that's you guys right there. So we, we're like in our VIP seats, and we're like, wow, guys. We sit down a minute. Like, it's an hour before the game, right? We're like, wow. Okay, guys, I know where we're supposed to be now. Let's go get a hot dog and some cotton candy. So we get up, and we walk back to that same guy. Of course, I'm friendly to everybody. He's my new bestie now. You know, like, hey, man, listen, I'm going to take the boys up. We're going to go find a hot dog. We ride right back down. He's like, hot dog? I was like, yes, sir. He said, no, 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 you guys have some food. I was like, no, we got, they're hungry. I'm going to go get them some food. He's like, no, do you have your armband yet? I was like, armband? He's like, all right, stop, listen. Go through that door. There's a lady at the table. Get an armband. Then go through that door. There's a little club where you guys can find some food to eat. I'm like, all right, we'll see. So I go, we get our armbands, and then we walk into this room. And it's like something off TV. I mean, like, there's like, 
they're like lines of food, like gourmet stuffed crabs and like duck tacos and like bar. And I'm like, where do you pay? You don't. You don't. <laughs> like popcorn for free, candy for free. I'm like, I got more, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was Jed Clampett went to a basketball game. So the preacher's kids, like, we were talking about this, and they're like, Dad, I'm not going to the basketball game. I'm staying here. You know? <laughs> and like, I understand, but we're going like, this is what it feels like to be rich people. Like, that's what they, you know, that's what, yeah, 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 yeah. So we go watch the basketball. Absolutely amazing. Blew us away. Like, that game was more than we ever imagined. Like, we thought we're going to sit in row 241, you know, and we're going to watch a game, and it's going to be kind of cool. Guys, the best thing I did last year, it was amazing. Amazing. And I wish that God would show us in his spirit that you're not on road 241 of his mission. The man, he is on the court with you, for you, like redeeming you right now, fighting your sin with you. I wish you could see the power and the love of God from the cross. As far as the east is from the west, your sins are gone. I wish you could feel it. I wish you could see that God is doing more than you could ask or imagine. And I can imagine a lot. But if we could understand that when we gather in here, this is family. And this is family where the Spirit of God is changing souls. I wish we could see, like Paul prayed, that God is doing more here than you could ever ask or imagine. And that we would agree as a church to give Him glory the rest of our days with our little lives. That we would recognize what He's doing. Feel His power inside us accomplishing it. And that we would join Him in mission and give Him all the glory we can as He does more than we can ask or imagine. As He saves the nations, as He redeems your neighbors, as He sets you free, as He rescues your marriages, as He disciples your children, that we could see Him do more than you ask or imagine. And the next time that you and I fall into cruise control, and we think our gathering as a church is just an hour that we give for a religious duty, that God would peel back the blindness from our eyes and then pour out His power in our hearts and strengthen us so that we could understand the height and depth and length and width of the power and the love He's poured into our hearts. That we would understand the resurrection of the dead and the mission that it drives. And that we would knock the doors off every Sunday scattering for a week of missions to give God glory in every way. And that every band hall and basketball court, that every dugout and classroom, that every Minecraft server and chat room, that every coffee shop and corner restaurant would become a place where we magnify the glory of God by engaging the mission of God until everyone knows the name of their Father who has given them every name for every family under heaven. As we gather today, I just want to ask you what God's doing in your life. Are there students uh, here who made a disciple now decision? You gave your life to the Lord this week and you want to come and tell the church about it? Is there a brother or sister here that this week God's moved in your heart and you've given your life to Jesus Christ for salvation? You're ready to be baptized and you want to tell somebody. I want to share that with you. I want to celebrate with you. Is God moving in your heart? We're going to wrap up the service by giving everybody a time to respond to this God who's doing more than you can imagine. 
want to give you a few minutes to worship and process and just ask God what He wants from you. What's your next step with the Lord? And I pray that your walk with God would go from row 274 to the front row. That you recognize the power of the Spirit working in you. That you are part of God's mission to redeem this earth. And as the church, you're a part of this mysterious body of people whom He has given new life again and brought in by His grace to redeem creation. And that we'd feel the power of that as we walk through the book of Ephesians together. Let me pray for you. And then we'll respond to God's word together. Father, I want to give you thanks for a weekend in the word for our students, for our children of their church. God, for our sons and daughters. I thank you for the college students that led them and discipled them. I thank you for Stroh, Lord, and his leadership over all of them. And I ask God that you would bear fruit from the weekend. But Lord, for the entire church this morning, I pray that your spirit would search and know us, God, that you would show us the steps you want us to take in your kingdom, that you would move us to obedience, Lord, that we would see that you do more than we ask or imagine, and that we'd be part of your mission in your kingdom. I ask your grace over us now, Lord, as we respond to you, as each one of us searches, our heart listens to your spirit and obeys you, Lord, as you prompt us. Lord, we give you our lives. We give you Father, our week, and I pray now that you would show us our next step. It's in Christ's name I pray.